All right, guys, welcome to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bryce Kaminsky, filling in for Dave Dubow. And if you've ever been thinking, I want to get started in real estate, but I'm maybe not sure if I can wholesale the thing. You know, I'm finding things, but I can't maybe execute the sale of the property, or I'm looking to get into flipping, and I'm not sure I can finance a property, but I'm finding things. My special guest today, Josh Balsam, will be able to help you with that. Josh, how are you doing today? Very well, Bryce. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the call, kind of about your your story and how you got started. So if you could, you know, just fill people in. How did you get started in real estate? It's been a few years. Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, it's been it's been a while now. I started back in 2011 as an agent in New York City, and I was doing a lot of rentals and representing a lot of landlords and investors. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the cash flow that they had, I, I knew I had to get in on that. Yeah, the cash the cash flow really does, you know, because people want that they want that money rolling in in a certain way. I mean, there is there's this kind of stigma that passive and cash flow go together. It's not in my experience ever been super passive as passive as people believe it is before they start to do it. So what were you doing for um, the landlords and stuff like that, that you saw these cash flow numbers? So, so in New York city, we have something called the open listing system. So that's mm -hmm. where landlords will send out their vacancies to several different brokerages and whichever agent brings them the renter first gets, gets the deal. Um, I ended up bringing a couple of different landlords, several tenants, and I qualified them myself. I did my due diligence before bringing it to them with the intention of building a positive relationship with that landlord. Mm -hmm. but after bringing them a few tenants, I did what everybody's afraid to do. And I asked them for the business. I asked them for the listing. Give me one to try. Give me two to try. Now give me five. And that really built into something, something great. And I ended up taking these guys out to lunch and networking with them and really speaking with them because I knew my end goal was to become a landlord myself. And I had a lot to learn and I was using their properties to do it. So where did that um, desire to become a landlord come from? So my father was a real estate investor. Um, he and my uncle did some properties together. And right out of college, I asked them if I could work with them. And I was told that there was no room for me. So instead of, uh, you know, going out and getting a nine to five, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do it myself and I'm going to build a bigger and better portfolio than you and do it the right way. A little bit of fire under, under your, uh, a, a, a under lot of, your, yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of fire, you know, and then, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of networking, meeting the right people. And I, you know, I did it all with honesty and integrity because I'd rather lose a dollar and sleep well at night uh, than make a dollar by screwing somebody. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in real estate, there's a certain amount of real estate karma and you can only like, if people think they can get away with that long term or even short term, like your reputation in your local market is huge. And, Absolutely. you know, maybe, maybe it, were you in New York City directly? Uh, well, now I live up in the suburbs and that's where my office is, but this was but that's right where you started, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few people you might have been able to like drag that out, but in smaller markets, like if you're listening at home and you're in a sub 1 million population, like there's not that many investors. We might think there's lots, but your reputation precedes you. So um, you started getting, you you had that idea. You, you're trying to be a landlord. You're working on it. You're seeing these 
these um, listings coming through and you're seeing the cash flow numbers. Are these investors um, showing you the cash flow numbers? Like, how did you do those calculations or were you doing them on your own? I did some Google searching and watched some YouTube videos, listened to a lot of podcasts as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I figured out how to how to calculate what a net operating profit was. Yeah. I also made a wonderful mentor who I'm now business partners with as well uh, here in the New York area. Awesome. Um, and we've done a couple of good deals together. Uh, so he, I had some good people really show me the ropes and, and now I'm looking to pay it forward as well. Cool. So t tell me what you think is a couple good deals or tell me your best one that, that you feel like that was a great deal. Oh, well, I don't even know where to begin. Um, so we've got a multifamily property in the mm -hmm. Bronx in an inner city area. And here in New York, uh, rent stabilization is a major challenge for any investor. Yeah. Um, this particular multifamily property had 97 stabilized units. Wow. Um, is that the, pretty much the whole building? Yeah, 100%. Of the building is rent is rent stabilized and, and so tell in, people um you know people listening at home define rent stabilized in this in new york city sure so in in most markets in the united states a landlord could charge whatever they want for a property you know whatever mm -hmm. the market calls for here in new york any multifamily property over six properties is subject to rent stabilization yeah which means that the government can regulate how much rent you charge for your apartment so let's say if we have a one-bedroom apartment, let's call it $1,500 a month. By law, I cannot increase that rent by more than 1.5% per year on a one-year lease or 2.5% on a two-year lease. Even if inflation is at 10%, I have to follow the law. Mm -hmm. If a tenant moves out, I can't just deregulate the apartment and charge whatever I want for it. By law, I cannot increase that rent. So you have a cash-flowing property, but you've got a very low ceiling and a very low and a very high floor as to what you can do to in order to properly be a profitable investor you have to really know how to operate your property and that's why networking with seasoned landlords is such a great idea so yeah in my market we have something called rent control very similar uh, but we're able to renovate and reestablish a market rents by doing a proportional renovation is there is there a way that you guys were able to increase that rent in a hurry or are they really just like hard about it? Sure. So when I took over uh, my, uh, my multifamily portfolio back in 2016, that was the case. Uh, when somebody moved out, you could renovate, increase the rent by 20% by twenty or if you increase the value of the unit by more than 16%, you're destabilized. Um, in 2016, you know, that was when I was a new investor, I was getting my financing together. I didn't have the capital to do that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And then back in 2019, um, the governor of New York instituted a law that changed everything. You were no longer allowed to ask for in vacancy increases. That was where the one and a half and two and a half percent came from. So a lot of landlords actually sold their properties and left the states, mm -hmm. uh, left the state of New York, I should say. Um, so it was, it was a kick in the gut. It, 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 it changed property values. You know, I, I do think tenants do, should have some rights to protection, but us landlords are still paying our property taxes. We're still paying our staff and we're still doing everything by the book. And we still have to provide heat and hot water and the cost of that is not going down. 
No, it's it definitely increasing. Yeah, my mentor, I remember back in the day, one of the first things he taught me, he said, the government is ill-suited for housing. And so decisions like that, um, <clears throat> while beneficial for the populace, you know, rent control being um, something that, you know, you can see why it's instituted, but uh, some sort of blanket policy like that is, I feel, I feel like it's D, like they felt it. They're like, uh, well, this doesn't make sense. I'm out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, it does affect the tenants too. Um, you know, I, I, like I why renovate? To... Why renovate when you can't? Um, yeah. You know, just keep coasting the unit at rent controlled rates. Yeah, you know, I, I'd love to give you a stainless steel kitchen, but I'm not getting any any return for that. No, we're not getting any uh, incentives to mm -hmm. do so. Yeah. All right. So, the, so you mentioned you started as a real estate agent, and uh, you know, offline we were talking that you still have your license uh, today. Thank you. Yeah. So to continue, um, you know, carrying the license, I know there's a lot of investor realtors who carry the license to have access to, you know, the data and the numbers and so that they don't have to eventually, you know, call another agent for comparables or whatnot. Um, do you see any other advantage to carrying the license um, as an investor? Absolutely. Um, you have access to the MLS, so you can mm -hmm. always see what's out there, what's on the market, and what's active. Also, in this industry, uh, we were talking about our name and our brand before. That's the most valuable thing we own. Mm -hmm. So is our, our network. Um, I had somebody come to me just the other day, asked me if I knew an agent in Nashville. So I went on uh, went on a couple websites, found an agent, and we're working out a, we're working out a referral agreement. There you go. So and I, and I do believe in real estate karma as well. So maybe one day that agent in Nashville will send me a deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you just put it out there and, it, you know, what goes around comes around good or bad. Yeah, so um, you'd mentioned that, that you were doing, um, it was like apartments and landlordships, but you've also moved into flipping. What year did you start looking into that as an option? And was it in New York City or was it like outside of the city? Sure. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I started flipping in 2019. Uh, when uh, the rent laws in New York changed and I had to pivot my business a little bit from being a landlord. Definitely. And it's something that I was always fascinated with. Mm -hmm. I have never done one in the in the city of New York. There's just too much risk. Yeah. And the acquisition costs are also uh, very high. Uh, first one I did was about 80 miles outside of New York City. Mm -hmm. um, it was a a home. Uh, it was an older family. They needed they needed ninety three thousand dollars in order to get into the nursing home of their dreams. Yeah. And I ran the numbers on their house, and I realized like I could get them their ninety three thousand dollars. They owed it free and clear. Yeah, they owned it free and free and clear, but they had no other income coming in. The taxes were going up. You yeah. know, these people were. It was a lot for them to maintain a property, beautiful property on two acres of land. Um. But I, I did my I did my comps. I'm like, your home is actually worth quite a bit more than this, even mm -hmm. at a wholesale level. Yeah. Uh, so I, I laid out their options for them. We ended up selling for 98, and uh, you know my buyer took over and made a sixty thousand dollar profit. Wow, good for, good for you. Yeah, the, yeah. I, I always look at it and say, you know, there's it's a service business, right? And being able to like serve them now as a realtor um, for the realtors who are looking into the business. I know uh, several realtors in my market here that there's a lot of uh, disclosure that comes along with holding a license and doing investment real estate. Um, yes. 
any any like advice for someone who's a realtor thinking about getting into flipping and is worried about the conflict of interest? Uh, sure. So um, I would love to chat with anybody that has questions about that off of this program. But yeah. disclose, disclose, and do more disclosure. Uh, mm -hmm. Follow your local, follow your particular state laws. I'm licensed in New York and Connecticut. So when I speak with a potential seller in those states, I tell them, look, I'm here looking at your home as an investor. Mm -hmm. If my offer is not good enough for you, I would be happy to, to utilize my real estate license to help you list that property and get top dollar for it. So before we even talk brass tacks, they know that, I, that I'm an investor first, but a realtor in 1A, I'm, I'm there to help. Mm hmm. Yeah. Go to your broker and ask them if you're, if you're unsure, that's what the answer I've always gotten is just like, yep. check with your broker. The broker will help you navigate it, but you can do both. And I think that's really what I was, what I'm trying to get across. And I think you can understand that you can do both. People just get a little worried about the disclosure. It's not a big deal. Talk to your broker. You can yes. do flips as an agent. You can be an investment. And I think there's a lot of uh, advantages to that because you are educated, you're surrounded by it. And even if you don't do a ton, like it's, it's definitely something you can do both of. So after you did that first flip, um, you ended up assigning it or did you take it over and, and do it yourself? Like fix it up. I assigned it. Uh, at the time I did not have the capital available. Um, and then the pandemic came. So I, I slowed down a little bit. We had a new baby at home too. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Now they're, now she's five and uh, got a two year old also. So everything I do, I'm doing for them. Um, but we really kicked things back up uh, earlier this year. Yeah, and, it seems uh, like the it's opening, like the opening back up, but also like people's uh, confidence in the economy is coming back. They're they're more willing to to invest in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I took some time to work on my own portfolio and and manage that, and you know, bring it you know to the to the point where. We're seeing some cash flow as much as we can possibly see from it. Yeah, yeah. And I can really work on now my passion project, which is uh, flipping and helping others become flippers as well. Yeah. So before we jump into that, because I want to touch on that, um, you'd mentioned that you didn't have the capital to do the, that first flip. So right. what was your first uh, funded project? And, you know, for the people who are looking at getting into flipping, maybe they're a wholesaler. How did you uh, navigate that first capital raise? So I got lucky. I, I know a great buyer um, who wishes to remain private at this point, but mm -hmm. um, uh, he he helped me buy the property in cash. Um, you know, he he said he said to give him a, a percentage of the return after mm -hmm. the flip, but he wanted to be involved in the process, have a seat at the table. I had to use his vendors. He's also a general contractor, so he had to get the job to do it. So he had, this guy had skin in the game. We were partners. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've done a few like that together. Uh, I've always worked off of partnerships and with people. Um, but my first actual capital raise was when I acquired my multifamily portfolio, 176 doors. Um, I actually used a mortgage broker mm -hmm. who, um, you know, at the time I was young, I didn't have, you know, my personal credit was fine, but I didn't have any business credit. Yeah. Um, he helped me navigate um, to a local bank that helped me finance um, finance everything. Dime Community Bank here in New York. Um, you know, they, they've nice. been very good with us. The rates have been reasonable, and the customer service is always great. And that's that's another thing that I think uh, people maybe uh, overlook is if you're trying to finance multifamily in the city or state you're in, you're gonna have 
I've I've heard that you can have a lot more success with the local bank. You know, yep. in, in in my market, it's the local bank that is more investor friendly. The big banks, um, great for like a house mortgage. You know, you're you're getting your family into a house, but if you're trying to do an investment, it's it's most they're most interested. So check with your local banks and. Um, are you still uh, working with that bank to this yeah, day? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've been together for uh, for seven years now. It's like a marriage. We've been together for <laughs> yeah. seven years. It's been a beautiful partnership. I can't wait to do more properties with them. So you've done um, you've done a bunch of uh, multifamily, and you and you've you've been around it and been around it. And then naturally, people are like, "Josh, can you help me out?" And, you know right. that that. People start coming out the woodworks. You're at a networking event. How do how do I do it? How do I get started? So how do you help people um, into the game and help them stay in the game? Sure. So I recently partnered up with a couple of investors out of Atlanta, um, Peter mm-hmm. Vesselman and Julie Muse, who I met through social media a few a few years back. Yeah. Um, they are seasoned flippers doing this twenty plus years. Um, they've done almost five thousand flips together. Mm-hmm. And this partnership method is, you know, that that's that's their model. Uh, I'm simply here to help it grow. But what we do is we work with people that are either aspiring real estate professionals, real estate agents, wholesalers that want to become buyers. Anybody that wants to get into flipping is a qualified candidate to work with us. And Mm -hmm. we've got training and coaching by active investors in today's industry. It's not just a guy that flipped a house 20 years ago and has a story. Yeah, You got to watch out for that. Definitely. Yeah. So we're not one of these gurus that sells a program for $50,000 and tells you what to do, but doesn't actually do it. So yeah, you people, guys are active. Yeah. So we are active investors. When students partner up with us, we will teach them. We've got transaction and construction management in-house. So we we handle everything. And when they bring us a qualified deal, we're going to buy it in cash. We'll handle the flip and we split the profits with our students 50-50. So they, there's no truer partnership. Yeah, well, what I really what what I find find interesting about what you're doing is yes, you're helping them with capital. Yes, you're helping them with the construction, and and those two things can be challenging. But if you never learn to truly acquire, you will not have a a a great long term career because if you can't find it and you can't buy right, it doesn't matter how good your money is, doesn't matter how good your team is. If you bought wrong, you can't recover. So I really like that, um, you know that you're able to facilitate all of that. Now, you've been in in the business for a while now, and where do you see the current market trend going over the next like three to five years? I, I, I think interest rates are certainly about to go up even more than they already are. Um, yeah. But I don't think that should scare people away. I just think you need to account for that in your underwriting. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of homeowners that are going upside down. And I think that's a very unfortunate situation. You know, everybody that got these mortgage rates between one and 3% during the pandemic are going to be unable to refinance at eight to 10%. Uh, so I, I, I feel for these homeowners as an investor, I think it's a great time for us to come in and, and capitalize and, and, and do some deals, but the cost of doing those deals would be much higher. The homeowners would be more need. The cost of supplies mm-hmm. and labor is higher. So we just have to underwrite your deals properly. But I do think that it is a great time to invest. And this is the time This is the time to do it because if you could make it in this current market, you could, you could make it anytime. 
Yeah. And it's, it kind of goes back to that old adage where, you know, if people are fearful and investing, you should be, you know, excited. If people are excited, you should be fearful because when people are excited, they're doing nonsense and then you might get caught up in nonsense. But when they're fearful, the opportunity is there. If you can try to block out that fear that's coming from maybe news media or particularly news media, but other investors who like recount the news media and it starts to kind of get the word kind of gets out there. And, you know, the the reality is that you're right. You got to make sure that you're the numbers just change. It's like contractors rates go up too. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and like you said, it, and when we evaluate deals, it's, it's about the numbers. If you underwrite it properly, if you see a profit potential, it doesn't matter what price you're at. It doesn't matter what your interest rate is. Mm-hmm. Profit potential. If you see a deal that you're questioning a little bit, the best deals are the ones that we don't make. Mm-hmm. So we just keep yeah. on playing the numbers game and keep looking at, keep looking at more deals. Yeah, that's the, you know, there's uh I was listening to a Dan, Dan Martell. He's like an investor uh, on the West Coast. And he said, uh, saying yes to something is saying no to something else. And in this business, when you say yes to a, a questionable deal, you're right. You, you're now tied up mentally, financially, physically. Maybe you're there painting it and you're like, I'm doing this whole deal. And it's a zero. Like you, Once the dust settles and the, and the emotion wears off and you start looking at the numbers and the contractor quotes start coming in and how long it's going to take starts coming in. And you're like, I'm doing this whole deal. Everyone's getting paid, but me. So yeah, definitely yeah. the deals you don't do. Yeah, absolutely. And we have to remember, we're always the last ones to get paid. Yeah. So and there's no do. guarantee. Everyone else has a little bit of a guarantee. You know, the lawyer's got to get paid. Everyone, the agent's getting paid, the contractor yep. especially, but there's no, you know, there's no guarantee that the the flipper is actually going to make any money in the deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's why you really have to you know, measure twice and cup once with every deal. But we do make money. <laughs> we do oh, make yes. money. Yeah, we do make yeah. money. Um, but I think it really it, I think it really hit the nail on the head is that, you know, you've got to do your numbers and it's easy for for us to say that. And, you know, it's easy for a first time investor to to kind of mess that up by just maybe not knowing enough. So, um you know, if people want to get in touch with you and, you know, like get some of that education, what's the best connection avenue? Like what's the best way to reach out to you and, and really pick your brain? Uh, best way to text me. Uh, uh, best way is to text me. Uh, 646-643-4601. I'll respond with a link to my calendar. We could book a call or um, I can also be emailed. It's Josh, J-O-S-H at the R-E-I connector.com awesome awesome well i really appreciate your insights and uh i guess the last question before we go is i always like to throw this out for the people who've been in the game for a while what would you have done differently if you got started all over again i would have bought earlier i would have bought an investment property right away instead of studying so much yeah the analysis paralysis well i josh i really appreciate your time it was great having you on the show and Until next time, guys, we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.